Welcome to Conversations in Business with RSM, where we talk to business leaders and experts to gain valuable insights that will help you move your business forward. Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode on Conversations in Business with RSM. I'm Thalem Pillay, and I'm a director in our risk advisory department. I also lead the digital service line um, at RSM South Africa. Today, I'm chatting to Jay Shulman, uh, a global expert on blockchain and digital assets. Jay is the national leader for blockchain and cryptocurrency services at RSM US. His focus is on helping clients think through the overall risk of adopting blockchain and digital assets and how to mitigate those risks through operational security and proper implementation of technology. And today we're going to kind of focus on just an intro into the world of blockchain, into the world of cryptocurrency assets. So I'm really, really excited. Uh, Jay, thank you for joining us. Thank you. So happy to be here. So Jay, most people's foray into the world of blockchain kind of started with their their knowledge or their intro into cryptocurrencies, and in particular, Bitcoin. So if you wanted to really explain blockchain to someone, what, what would you say? How could you make it easily digestible for them? The, the killer feature, what makes blockchain so transformative is this idea that it is immutable. Um, and to be honest, I had to go look up what that meant when I first got into this space. Uh, And that just means that once you write information to the blockchain, it can't be ever edited again. It's there permanently. And so I think that there's two examples that I use. Uh, the, The first one is you imagine your Excel spreadsheet. You have all these rows of data and you're typing in rows and rows of data into your Excel spreadsheet. And the only difference between your Excel spreadsheet and a blockchain is that once you enter the data into the spreadsheet, it can't ever be changed. Likewise, a little dated, uh, I've been in information technology for far too long, is a dot matrix printer. And for those of you who can picture a dot matrix printer, every time you write something to the blockchain is that dot matrix printer going across one line on the piece of paper and it it just keeps going and you can't edit it. And it's, it, it is really powerful because if we think about RSM running an application, what are, who, who's going to trust us, right? And, and in fact, we're pretty trustworthy and we tend to be independent and uh, sure, you, you could trust us. But what a blockchain does is it makes sure that there's, there's no funny business going on in the background and it provides that trust for a whole lot of different people to work together around a common goal. The very first common goal was Bitcoin, the ability to to transact money, but certainly there's a lot of use cases and common goals that this idea of an immutable ledger that provides trust can can really bring to light. I think the the confusion maybe just comes in, it's just how vast the use cases really are for blockchain. Um, and that, and and trying to really distinguish between cryptocurrencies and blockchain. And the way I generally try to explain to people is that uh, if you were to look at the the World Wide Web or the internet, and and when that first started, and and then the email came up as a sort of direct product of of the internet, I would say that the email is to is to the internet as cryptocurrency is to blockchain. It's it's one of the various use cases. In your experience, maybe over the last couple of years, since you've maybe started RSM and, and looking at the at the trends, what would you say is, is some of the, the most successful use cases for blockchain? 
And that's an absolutely great analogy. And if I could add just one more thing before I answer your question is, you know, keep in mind specifically with that analogy, email. Uh, I was just thinking the other day, I'm going to date myself, but my very first email account was in 1993 and it was, it was text-based. There was no bold, there was no italic, certainly there was no embedding images. And think about what we have today for email, this incredibly media-rich version. And so we're, we're, I, I think we're in 1998 when you think about the internet. So we're still pretty early and we're going to see a lot of evolution in this space. And we're, we're still in the text-based, no bold and italic kind of version of some of these applications that we're building on blockchain. So to specifically answer your question around use cases, the, I'll give some examples and I'll give why those examples work. Um, supply chain has been a huge benefit here. And if we think about kind of how I describe the trust in blockchain to begin with, we all in the supply chain world held data in our own four walls. And we had all this data and there was no good way to share it. And a blockchain really allows the producer of a product, the logistics of the product, the intermediaries, and eventually the final recipient of the product to all share their data that they were already collecting anyway together so we can kind of really build out the chain of data from from start to finish. And we we are seeing a lot of movement in food, uh, primarily around the concept of food safety. If the if it turns out that this food is bad, can we use data recorded to a blockchain to figure out where it came from and and what the common piece is? And, and track the safety of the food. And, and that's a really good example where everybody was already tracking it themselves. And now we're just combining all that data together. And then the second is in the financial services arena. And, and I want to be cautious here, and we certainly can go into talking about cryptocurrencies, but it's really the idea that I can clear a transaction extraordinarily fast. And so if we think about the SWIFT network, you know, to, to move money globally around the world, it can take a number of days, if not a week or two, to clear a transaction using our traditional payment rails. And using a blockchain as your payment rails, that clears in about five minutes. And that's really impactful. And you're seeing the push-pull of the regulators saying, whoa, keep, keep using the traditional SWIFT network. And yet there's a real desire to clear these transactions extraordinarily quickly. And so, so that's a good example of the push-pull. The reason food safety works, um, the reason we're seeing a lot of supply chain projects come to light is really about the ability to come to a standard data set. So when we're talking about a blockchain, there's not a lot of forgiveness in the data. If I use dashes and you use periods, um, between the two of us, we're going to have to agree, is it dashes, is it periods, or you know, we're not going to use any special characters. And the dynamics of a supply chain has allowed all of these different parties to agree on a nomenclature. And so if I'm moving apples, I may call in my system, you know, red A, because it's a red apple. You may call it, you know, RA002. And the logistics company calls it, you know, 127. 
for us to to work together, we all have to agree on a standard. And in food, it was very easy because groceries have already pushed for an international standard. It was very easy to come to that standard. In other areas of the supply chain, um, it's been pretty easy. There are many areas when I think about pharmaceutical, when I think about insurance, that has been incredibly difficult for the parties to agree upon a standard. And so it isn't that blockchain, the technology doesn't work. It's blockchain, the governance of this big data repository that isn't working because the parties themselves can't agree upon it. And so there's there's been a joke since I got into blockchain that, you know, blockchain fixes that. Uh, and in fact, you know, the technology does fix a lot of problems, but a lot of times it's not the technology, it's the data quality or amongst the parties, we, we can't actually agree on what the data should look like. That's, that's quite interesting in terms of, in, in, in terms of those, those sort of use cases and then just, you know, touching a bit on, on, the, on the constraints there. I think over this pandemic period, what's happened is that there's been a force for companies to digitally transform. And actually, there's been a, a lot of, I think, startups in the fintech space and in other areas uh, using, you know, blockchain technology. And, and yes, it might have started, you know, a lot that would have started pre-pandemic, but it kind of, the pandemic was almost a period of, of, of a catalyst for the sort of fast adoption of this technology. With that said, however, there's still a lot of hesitancy towards the adoption of it. And I think you know, sometimes it's in the the funding resources, maybe being part of the constraints, uh, maybe being in the you know how long does it take for let's say transactions to 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 complete. Uh, I know that you know you mentioned that you know sometimes the, tra- the transactions it's it's really fast, uh, but as you get into some of the other use cases of blockchain, it's how quick is are those algorithms and are those puzzles solved that's going to maybe complete an end to end end to end transaction. What do you see as, as some of the most, you know, the, the constraints to to the fast adoption of, of this technology in businesses and in digitally transforming their businesses using using blockchain? I mean, it's not necessarily that everyone necessarily has to use it, uh, but but I think it's it's really just evaluating what what the proper uh, use case is, what the proper ROI is, and how is it going to transform transform the business. Yeah, and and I think that um, you know it's interesting. You picked up on on something there. It's not that everybody has to use it, and that sometimes is in fact the challenge. So if we're talking about a, a food product as it travels around the world, from where it's grown maybe to where it's converted to, uh, I'll I'll pick oranges. Right, we grow oranges in one part of the world. We might juice those oranges in a different part of the world. Put that into a, a, a container that eventually gets to a grocery store that we go buy our orange juice. And if I get some of the players to participate in a blockchain, but not all of them, am I really able to solve my use case? Can I really figure out where the weak link is in the supply chain that caused the, the food safety issue? Or put differently, if I'm moving a container all around the world, but as it goes from one port to another, I'm missing some of that information. Am I gaining that value? And so I, I think to get to the heart of your question is actually, we all just need to lean in and spend some time learning. And I, I think that's the barrier to entry. We all have these pre-existing thoughts in this space. 
because it, you know, it, the fact that Bitcoin was kind of the the big innovation in the very first place, we all think about blockchain associated with Bitcoin. And then we get, you know, well, I don't, I don't want to do Bitcoin. And I have often talked about that supply chain example. And at the end, a CFO said to me, Jay, where's, where's Bitcoin? You didn't, you didn't mention Bitcoin. You know, it's not, that's, that's something else. And so I, I don't want to convince anybody that blockchain is going to solve all of their problems. What I think the important recommendation here is to, to take a step back and actually learn about the technology, learn what it does learn the value, um, certainly understand the risks, right? I, I talked a lot about data quality and getting all your partners together and things like that. It, it's not a utopia. On the flip side, it's transformative. And when there's a transformative technology, kind of like the internet, we look at, there are plenty examples of companies that did not embrace the internet and aren't around anymore. And my hunch is that's going to be the same thing in the blockchain space. So I'm not saying go out and implement it tomorrow, but I am saying go out and learn about it tomorrow and understand what it does and, and most importantly, what it means for your business. And I think that's where I spend most of my time. I think, you know, the first step we recommend at RSM is really that strategy and thought process. Does this make sense? Am I going to get the return on investment that I think I'm going to get? I think maybe just to also add on to that, what I would also just maybe say is, you know, when they're evaluating and, and trying to learn about blockchain, it's not just about your business, as you've mentioned, it's about an industry, it's about all the other contributors to the blockchain. Um, so I think the companies really need to understand, and maybe they've forgotten sometimes, but they really need to understand the mechanics of their business and the mechanics of their industry. Who are the contributors and what are the potential disruptors in this industry going forward? Because if you don't think about those disruptors, um, I think that you, you're kind of missing out on an opportunity for potential use cases from a blockchain standpoint. And I think that's really where it does help. Uh, but not just for your business, it helps in disrupting an, an industry, but only if you are able to really cast your net wider and, and really think about all the contributing factors, all the individuals that's going to be contributing, because it's not just technology, it's technology that is based upon contributions from people. Well, and I, I, that's, that's such a, a smart take here. And I'll add by saying, sometimes it's not your decision. So if we look at leafy greens, spinach, lettuce, those types of foods, Walmart was very aggressive at pushing their suppliers to do this. And so Walmart went to the, the packagers of that food and said, you're going you're gonna to put this out on a blockchain. If you want to sell it to us, that's the requirement. And so I, I don't think any of those producers woke up one day and said, you know, gosh, I think blockchain is going to solve our problems. No, Walmart showed up and said, you're going to do this. And then all those producers had to go to all their farmers and say, guys, we got to do this. And I think that's a really important point here is this might not be your decision. You do have to look at your industry and look at, at your business partners and think about what they're doing. And that, that likely will be how you get into it. So just maybe diverging a little bit, moving more onto the, the digital asset side of it. The predominantly, I would say, adopted asset or, or use case for uh, for the blockchain so far has been cryptocurrencies, and whether that's the Bitcoin blockchain or the Ethereum, etc. But 
in terms of those sort of digital assets and and um, maybe newer digital assets like you know uh, NFTs and, and things like that, where do you see cryptocurrency use case maybe moving forward, especially looking at at changes in in countries themselves adopting uh, digital currencies. Uh, one of the recent, most recent ones was was Sweden, as an example, um, because it's when cryptocurrencies initially started, it was about democratizing the financial system, right? Um, and and what countries found is that they actually lost a lot of control over that, and in terms of their regulation. Um, and so now some of them are bringing across their own digital digital coin and digital currency, but once again based on based on the blockchain. Where's your view in terms of trends on on cryptocurrencies going forward? I think there's going to be incredible innovation in this space, and I think if you take the point of view that it's going to be banned or will go to zero, um, I certainly don't think that's that's the likely scenario. Do I know exactly how this is going to shake out? I, I don't have a clue. And yet, uh, a couple things that I, I think are really interesting. Um, l- like you said at the beginning, I think there was a thought when a Bitcoin was originally created that you wouldn't need banks anymore and that we could have a financial system without a lot of the intermediaries. And I think where I have seen us go, especially in the last two years, is in fact banks and financial intermediaries are adopting digital assets quite considerably. And so I think it's more likely in the next couple of years that you will get your Bitcoin or whatever cryptocurrency it is from a bank than you would from any other institution. Uh, and, and so that, you know, and that's part of why I can't predict what's going to happen because you have on one hand, this incredible set of developers that really reminds me of the early 2000s of the internet era where just massive amounts of of development. But if we remember the early internet era, we also saw a lot of these products failed. It didn't work. And so I think some of these innovations, these applications that are built on a blockchain won't, won't work. They'll fizzle out and off we'll go to something else, but others will be incredibly impactful, incredibly disruptive. The other piece of it is these digital wrappers. You mentioned NFTs, non-fungible tokens. In Bitcoin, every Bitcoin is exactly the same, but every NFT is unique. Even if the picture looks the same, they're all unique. And I want to, I actually want to get away from this idea that an NFT is a a picture. It's a Lego block. It's a, a way to build on a blockchain. And we could issue an NFT to you and I, that says that we are uh, employees of RSM and that could be used as a means of authentication. We could issue it as a ticket to get into uh, a football match. We could issue an NFT as a membership to say that we're a part of a club. There are so many different ways to take this building block that we are going to see a lot of really interesting things come about. And to tie it back to what you were talking about earlier about how the pandemic has really digitized society, uh, I think about it and and not, you know, I I hate talking about the metaverse. I think think the term is often misused, but the way I define it, I think is really interesting as we're talking about things like NFTs. I define the, the metaverse as the appreciation for the digital, at least equal to or greater than that of the physical. And so if we, we go back to, to our image, 
you know, there, there's artwork that I, physical artwork that I hang on my wall. And do I appreciate digital artwork at least equal to that? And that's what we've seen over the past two years is the appreciation of those digital goods, whether that's art, whether that's uh, a ticket, uh, whether that's going to a, a concert on the internet versus going to a concert in real life. And these wrappers uh, of NFTs will enable a lot of those activities to occur. And so I think a lot of people right now are associating cryptocurrency and NFTs together as one bundle. And I think we're going to see, especially in the consumer goods space, you kind of separate the two. And we've seen Adidas and Gap and a lot of uh, Pepsi, um, I think Budweiser, a lot of of large international brands adopting these NFTs to try to connect with their customers. And I think we'll continue to see that trend and continue to see a lot of innovation in that space. Um, So it will be very interesting to see where this all comes about. At the end of the day, though, the one thing that I think will be most disruptive here is the idea that I can move money from, I'm currently sitting in Chicago in the United States, I can send you money in under 10 minutes on a blockchain using a cryptocurrency. And uh, especially with all the disruption going on in the world today and, and likely into the future, that use case is going to be incredibly powerful. And I will add, I think the part that a lot of people aren't thinking about is for me to send money around the world today is probably cost efficient if it's a large enough number. But for me to send you the equivalent of a dollar or a won or a peso or whatever the the metric is, is quite inefficient. But on a blockchain, it is quite cost effective. And so the idea that I can move micropayments globally, I think is going to be really impactful and create a lot of new business opportunities. I think that the the fintech space has really been being disrupted by this technology, as you've indicated, you know, things like, you know, the micropayments and, and a lot of the, the banks, the, the traditional merchants or the traditional parties involved in, in the payment space has, is actually, you know, investing hugely in this technology and in startup entities, actually, that is essentially disrupting the, the, the payment space. And I, th- I think also just on, on the flip side of that, it's, Adoption of, I think, of cryptocurrencies are going to come, it's only going to be as quick as as maybe industries or, or various parties in a supply chain choose to also adopt it as, as a method of payment. What other types of, of digital assets do you see making its mark using blockchain technology? Yeah, you know, I, I think that there's probably a lot of people listening now going, I'm never going to pay for something in Bitcoin. And, and actually, I probably might agree with you on that. Um, and so there's a lot of ways. And if you've listened carefully to the words I've chosen, you know, I've used payment rails and blockchain and not said the word cryptocurrency. Uh, I'm going to use an example, you know, topically, uh, the Olympics uh, just wrapped up a little bit ago and China rolled out their central bank digital currency. And so this uses a lot of the same features as Bitcoin, but uh, created, issued and controlled by the Bank of China. And so it's, it's a different model, right? The question I get a lot of times is what's Bitcoin backed by? And I say the figment of your imagination. And what is the e backed by? It's actually backed by Juan that's sitting in a bank account. 
you know, so let's let's tie all these concepts that we've been spending the last few minutes talking about. And I want to buy something from a a vendor in China, and they're going to put it on a container ship on a boat and send it to me. And as we know, supply chains are incredibly disruptive at the moment. And I want my product as fast as I can get it. And the vendor, my business partner, basically says, when I get your money, I will put it on in the container and it will get on the boat. And so this is why sometimes it's not your decision to enter the space. I have a couple options in front of me. I can use the SWIFT network to move the money from South Africa to China to pay that vendor, but that's going to take a few days and I want my product. Or I can use uh, a central bank digital currency, the EWAN, and I can pay and that transaction will clear in a matter of minutes and that product will get put on the boat today. And it's these push-pull dynamics that is what's so transformative in the fintech space where somebody, a company is going to come in and make it very easy for buyers all around the world to be able to transmit different types of digital assets, the EWAN as an example, so that you can facilitate these payments. And it's going to be very interesting how those dynamics come about. I personally think that supply chain example is going to be very popular because supply chains are going to be constrained for the next couple of years. And the faster I can get my product, the faster I can sell my product. Uh, And so I want to be expedient. I think the other interesting piece is you can answer my problem. I I am, we've all been frustrated with some tech issue and we go searching the internet, trying to find an answer to the tech issue. And you can provide that answer to me for the equivalent of one US dollar. And today, uh, using credit cards and wire transfers and all those different things, it's just inefficient. It it is not going to be profitable for you to sell me an answer for a dollar. And yet, using these digital currencies, I can. And that's where, on one hand, we have our supply chain example, very traditional money payment example that could go the way of a blockchain. And yet here you're selling me answers or coupons or, you know, all kinds of different products that are all really, really micro payment, small transactions that don't even exist today because our financial networks really don't allow that to exist. They're going to start to pop up. And so I would open your mind to a lot of different ways this comes about. Bitcoin example, for example, is not the end all be all answer. Ethereum, which I am a, a huge advocate of, or, or I'm very excited about what is going to happen on top of that platform. That's not the one and only answer either. It's really going to be much like the internet is hundreds of different ways that this type of technology, a blockchain is going to be disrupted by putting money on top of it. And with that, I just want to say thank you to Jay for his time today. It has been really insightful. And I think if you are just a newbie into the space, this is, is, is quite a good intro into maybe understanding blockchain, its various use cases. But it's certainly not the end. It's only the tip of the iceberg. And with that, what we've done at RSM South Africa is we've put together a series of, of upcoming podcasts and where we are going to look at the types of digital assets. We're going to look at regulatory aspects surrounding digital assets, tax treatments, accounting treatments, 
uh, potential ESG implications. Uh, so look forward to those particular podcasts coming up. And once again, Jay, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. That was Conversations in Business with RSM. Experience the power of being understood. Experience RSM. Visit rsmza.co.za.